Welcome to Management Matters, an award-winning National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Terry Gurton, president of the Academy. The Academy has partnered with GovExec TV to produce an eight-part series on artificial intelligence in the public sector. This episode focuses on AI and the issues of security and cybersecurity and features panelists Bobby Stempley, Dan Chenick, and Karen Evans. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Artificial Intelligence in the Public Sector, AI-Enabled Cybersecurity, the seventh episode in our eight-episode season with the National Academy of Public Administration. I'm your host, George Jackson, with GovExec TV. Amidst all this talk about AI, its potential, the benefits, and how it will drive major change, there's also universal recognition of the importance that these technologies remain secure. That recognition starts at the top. The White House says, quote, in order to seize the opportunities AI presents, we must first manage its risks, end quote. It's the crux of our conversation today. Here for Episode 7, Dan Chenick, Executive Director at the IBM Center for the Business of Government and former Senior Executive at the Office of Management and Budget. Dan, welcome. Thanks for being here, sir. Thank you, George. Bobby Stempley is Vice President of Cybersecurity at Dell Technologies. She's also a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Cybersecurity and Communications at DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. Bobby, welcome. Thank you. And Karen Evans, Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute, and a former executive in more presidentially appointed positions than I can count. Karen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Bobby, you wrote the blog that I'll use to kick off our discussion here. One of the key points that you raised in it is something called built-in security. Incredibly important. Why is that? Yeah, we talked for a long time about having to think about security early in development processes, building it in versus bolting it on. And one of the truisms about artificial intelligence is it's even more important to do so. And so it's about really thinking from the very beginning, from even the ideation stage, about the security elements of the out- outcome that you're trying to achieve. So from artificial intelligence perspective, it's about thinking about the data, about the algorithms, about the parameters, and about the transparency so that the outcome you get is as secure as, as possible. Karen, you've been tracking this for a number of years, you know, from the time that you were administrator for e-government to post-government to back in government, maybe post-government again. You called this in several interviews that I've heard, you know, cybersecurity being bolted on in the past. Could you talk us through, you know, historically how this has changed over the years? Well, I'm going to echo a lot of what Bobby just said. In the long run, it's cheaper if you think about it up front. And what happens in all of these cases is everybody gets really excited about the technology, in this case, AI. So they're all rushing out and using it for different business processes without really thinking about the risk that's associated with it. That That's happened in every technology that we've deployed It happens like with cars, it happens with airplanes, it happens all the time. And I think in this particular case with AI, we really do need to think about what is the foundation that these algorithms are being used on. So 
Uh, Bobby mentioned the data. The data integrity to me is probably the key issue that you have to think about how you're securing that data before you even start using the data. And if, if I can, the, the really important thing here, and data is the best example of it, in much of today's world, we end up going back and retrofitting security into something, right? A product has a flaw. You have to go back and patch it um, in that context. It isn't yet clear how that retrofit is going to happen in much of the AI space. Um, a colleague of mine describes it like baking a cake. The data that you put into the AI as a an ingredient can't be unbaked once it's in that uh, in that environment, in that cake. And so there's still innovation that needs to happen in that space, reinforcing the need for building in. Dan, you said at a really unique intersection, I feel like the IBM Center for the Business of Government is totally nonpartisan. You don't have a financial bent to the organization, yet you have visibility into a lot of government agencies and the private sector. Talk about that nexus and how they interpret risk, pulling on what Karen said there. So when the government defines an outcome that it's trying to achieve, it often asks the private sector for what are the uh, most effective and efficient ways to get there, whether it's delivering a benefit or a service to uh, an individual or whether it's giving a loan to a small business or whether it's helping an airplane in the sky find its way through through communication with Federal Aviation Administration. So it's looking to see what is the mission that is trying to be achieved and what are the risks that are inherent in the, in the achievement of that mission. And artificial intelligence in, uh, introduces new possibilities in terms of mission achievement, much greater, faster uh, response time, the ability to get to a particular problem much more quickly than could be done through human analysis. But as Karen and Bobby said, it also introduces potential risks that need to be addressed early, not only in the system development process, but also in the development of the process of the steps that are taken uh, by agencies and by companies that are working with agencies to deliver that through a contract or through a cooperative agreement or even a grant to state and local governments. So there's lots of, of new elements uh, to the thinking about that partnership that enables government to achieve the mission. New elements, Karen, like... I love that being pulled out of Dan's remarks there because artificial intelligence, that landscape is moving so fast. Government at times has a tough time keeping up with all of the changes in there. Like what has to happen around cybersecurity to bridge that gap? So there's a lot in that question, George, um, especially trying to bridge the gap and talking about cybersecurity and using the new elements. It takes a really good foundation to be able to use these algorithms and be able to return the results that you want or the results that you need, depending on the mission outcome. So a lot of this is foundational. So activities that the agencies have been doing all along, like the cloud first policy, we can go all the way back to that, um, or things like bring your own device to work, which was changing the whole cybersecurity paradigm. Those foundational activities really need to be rock solid as you're going forward, then, you know, deploying these algorithms and using these uh, language learning models and really taking advantage 
of a lot of the promise of AI. If the foundation isn't right, then the agencies are going to really open themselves up for even more problems than they are going to solve by deploying new technology like AI. Bobby, I'd like for a moment, using that as sort of a launching point, for you to put on your Dell Technologies hat rather than your former DHS hat. There's often this question of how much security is enough. A lot of that depends on these partnerships between the public sector and the private sector. How much cybersecurity is enough? How do you strike that balance using or leveraging what's out there in the private sector? Uh, it's, uh, that is the perennial security question, right? Because it's a risk management exercise. Um, and so one of the things that we focus on at Dell is uh, our intrinsic security activity. So how do we actually build security in from below the operating system, the firmware all the way up um, in the technology that processes all of this data and then in the applications and software that then manipulate the information. So to Karen's point, the new opportunity space that's here is about efficiency and, and uh, effectiveness um, within that construct. So how do we take advantage of all of the advancements um, in these space? And Dan rightfully pointed, you have to understand the process that's here um, in order to ensure that the outcome you're achieving meets that process. Um, and so it's very much a partnership, right? Industry, government, uh, academia, others. This space is moving so quickly that uh, without that kind of partnership, the outcomes aren't going to be successful. What I see is one really interesting, uh, amongst all of the things that are going on, an interesting evolution of the security space. And that is we have to really think about not only how do we trade security, but how do we make trades of security, safety, and transparency? Um, because that's going to be the key question at a, a you know, sort of at a secure outcomes perspective. Let me build on that. The transparency point is a key enabler for artificial intelligence to be accepted by members of the public who are receiving services, whether it's from a business or from from a government. Also, explainability, um, the ability of, of somebody in the public to understand, and ethical use, making sure that you're you're not adding bias to uh, a, a decision process. You're actually reducing it. So things like that, principles that are used are critically important in the application of cybersecurity to an AI system as well. So thinking about sort of building in those principles, Bobby's um, blog talked about the sort of the traditional cyber principles of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. But you also pointed out, Bobby, that there are new principles that are needed. And these new principles that among those that I mentioned, um, transparency, explainability, ethics, um, are critically important in the application here. Let's talk about that application. If I could stay with you for a second, Dan, where do you see some of the key opportunities across government right now? Where is this being put to use in a tangible way in improving cybersecurity? Sure. We've done some research at the center that has shown interesting use cases across different types of work. Um, for example, the delivery of benefits to a veteran. Um, that often takes a, a, a lot of people going through a lot of processes, working through a lot of data, medical evidence, patient history, family history, deployment status, et cetera. And uh, VA has been able to, the Department of Veterans Affairs, has been able to develop a, a process where it uses artificial intelligence and robotics process automation, a related technology, um, to make that process much faster, to bring it from m weeks or even months down to days and, and even hours to get a veteran or their family the benefit that they need. 
So there's a, a service delivery uh, benefit. There's also the um, ability to reduce a work process. So, for example, if you're at a, 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 a statistical agency like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you're looking through lots of information across the workforce um, databases uh, that, that the government collects to identify trends, to do reports that are of interest to, for economic analysis. And it takes a lot of human power to kind of go through all those reports. And BLS a few years ago actually was an early adopter of AI to make that process much faster, to be able to sort of bring together all the information and to allow their analysts to look much more deeply at trends and much less at figuring out how to move information from many pieces of paper into one database. So they spend 80% of their time on the analysis and 20% on the information aggregation as opposed to the other way around, which which is a, a sort of a poor use. So those are two interesting examples that we found. So, so I want to follow up on this on the flip side of what Dan is talking about. So in my hat as the administrator, uh, there's the other flip side of this, and this is where the transparency and the ethics really come into play, because in each one of these cases, especially in veterans' benefits, there's the ability to challenge the ruling, right? And then how, um, if you don't have the transparency and someone wants to challenge the ruling, like, I'm not qualified for this benefit, or how we had consolidated everything across the board with gov benefits, and then you have all these different programs because you're gaining the efficiencies on the back end. The the big piece is making sure it's ethical and that you also have transparency so that the person who actually wants to get the benefit understands why they're not qualified for the benefit or has the ability to challenge the benefit because it is ultimately about the customer experience that we're having, the taxpayer's experience, how you're using this in a way that gets them the benefit faster, but it has to be fair and transparent. And I think one of the things that um, embedded in your question is, how are we seeing this being used in cybersecurity and in, in cyber operations space? Um, and and there's um, a lot of innovation going on in that space. Back to um, efficiency and efficacy, we're seeing it reduce the amount of burnout and burden on cyber professionals, right? There's a ton of data that cyber professionals have to go through in order to identify something. It's finding a needle in a stack of needles. Great to use artificial intelligence for that problem, reducing that burden, putting the um, creative brains into the creative part of the process uh, in, in that context. The other one, back to our building security in, is it's also changing toil in developers' worlds. Right. So so Karen rightfully pointed out that the fixing the issue it, through the process is the most cost effective way of doing it. As we can put data about software quality issues in front of the developers when they're doing their development, giving them insights as they're going through the process, we end up with a product out the end with fewer security flaws in it. Um, and so these are a couple of the near-term ways that we're seeing right this moment about uh, using these technologies. Yep. Jump in. And along those lines, it makes the world of a coder yeah. much um, faster, much more interesting, because they don't have to spend a lot of time building sort of the core code. And I'm not a coder, so so <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure exactly how this works. But I know from talking to coders that it makes their life much um, more able, to, their work life much more. They're much more able to sort of get to real, what's a really interesting use of this particular application that they're developing, this particular adaptation of an algorithm. Um, so it it has uses across 
uh, both sort of the production of technology as well as the mission use of technology. I'll do a talk talk with you later on. <laughs> well, but there's a challenge. So I'm going to flip this around again. There's a challenge with all of this, right? So the paradigm is flipping, and we're talking about all the positive things associated with this. So there are a lot of challenges in the cyberspace associated with AI, too. The way that we train employees, the human behavior aspect of, you know, the human is the first line of defense. Uh, a lot of what is happening is uh, the phishing emails, the smishing email, attacks, everything are really, really very good. So business email compromise where you could easily detect things before in the past, um, they're really, really hard to detect now because there's so much of us out there on the internet that what ends up happening is they make them sound so real that when your employee gets one, like they're more apt to follow it. I mean, the human behavior aspect of cybersecurity is probably more important now than it's ever been because there aren't easy ways to detect when these things are coming in and they're created by criminals and they look so good. I mean, they look really good. If I could stay with that point too, Karen, apart from a discerning nature, that level of awareness, what are the other cyber skills that government organizations, the folks that work with government, should be investing in right now? The skills still come back down to, uh, Bobby's been highlighting some of them, Dan's been highlighting a lot of them, is trying to do a lot of this stuff up front, but the training, the traditional training ways that that the government goes about doing this, I, I think it's another way for AI to come in and really um, kind of flip that whole paradigm of how we do training and how we kind of um, create this culture across the federal government because it really has always been a balancing act between I've got to get as much data out there, I have to be the best customer service, I have to do these things for the taxpayer, and then I have to turn around and I have to make sure I'm ensuring privacy, security, right, managing the risk, uh, managing records into the future so that we can do all of this stuff concurrently. And AI is either going to help speed it up so that we're going to be really good at it. But just remember, as we continue to do this, so does everybody else. So does the nation state. So does the criminal element, because the threshold to enter into it is really low now. I mean, it's it's lower than when we kept saying we have to raise the cost to the adversary. I mean, we used to use that as a punchline. Uh, it's, you know, it's a service now. I mean, the whole infrastructure, the flip side of the government services, there's a whole flip side of the infrastructure that enables all of this to be a service to criminals. So the um, the importance of cyber acumen, right, of governments, individuals, of business individuals, really understanding their obligation living in a digital space is greater now than it was five years ago, than it was 15 years yes. ago. Um, and so gaining some basic, not not just cybersecurity know how to detect a phishing email, which is if it looks too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Um, but but um, but gaining some real understanding of how this digitized world operates is really step one. Um, then the next step is how do you think about the data and the use of that data and your obligation as a uh, producer and consumer of that data to care for it correctly? 
right? Understand it and care for it correctly. So that's the second step in the process. And that ties in a bunch of cyber-related items. It ties in privacy. It ties in a whole range of other elements. And then how can you, where can you exploit, understand, and actuate, activate that data for a business outcome or a mission outcome is sort of step three. And how do you do that in a safe, secure, um, and uh, repeatable way? Dan, Mappy is a soundbite machine. I've been writing down. <laughs> long, you know, importance of cyber acumen, retrofitting cybersecurity, but something stood out there to you, sir. Um, so in the executive order on cyber on artificial intelligence that just came out uh, and the draft OMB implemented guidance, there's a fair amount of attention to we need to train both the nation, uh, the part, the, the business community, and the government in terms of achieving the kinds of skill sets that Karen and Bobby articulated. And, and those are important not only for the efficient operation and the secure security of the AI system as they're developed, but they're important for the trust that both the people receiving services have and that employees in the government have, that the systems are going to be working as intended, that they're not going to uh, be doing the wrong thing or they're not going to replace. There's a big fear often in, in every workplace that artificial intelligence will replace uh, workers. And in fact, they can actually, as we talked about earlier in some of the examples, they can make employees work more interesting by uh, uh, making more routine and more secure common functions and allowing uh, people to really focus on higher order tasks. And uh, no government agency that I've ever worked with has said, we're all done, we'd have no more work to do, and we're, and we're resting. Every agency always has more work to do, and AI can help them in a secure fashion, if done right with the skill sets that we're talking about, uh, achieve that goal. Taryn, in the minutes that we have left, I want to harken back to the top of the program here. A few of my opening remarks were there's universal recognition of the importance that these technologies remain secure. As Dan mentioned, the White House is really out front on this. What's the converse? What are we fighting against if government doesn't get the partnership between artificial intelligence and cybersecurity right? What what's at risk? I think real simple trust in in federal government services. That's really what it comes down to. I know when we were all talking here, there is a convergence between what the administration is doing with the artificial intelligence uh, policy as well as cybersecurity. And Dan and I had the opportunity to um, actually do a a workforce report that was issued by NAPA that really highlighted. You know, the way that you have to go for from a governance perspective all the way through to an execution perspective. And all of this is coming together right now. And if we miss the opportunity to do this right, this go around, I mean, several of us here have been working on this for years. Um, we will miss that opportunity to ensure that there's trust in government services, trust in the data, trust that, you know, that is my best interest for those benefits as we're going forward. Bobby, because you've been a soundbite machine, <laughs> bring us to a close here with just one of those additional nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, um, I'm going to echo a little bit of what Karen said. Um, it isn't yet clear whether this advancement in technology will advantage the defenders over the adversaries. And that's a choice that we have. Um, and that choice, I think, is part of the reason why we're having this conversation today, part of the reason why the administration issued the executive orders, both the AI executive order and the cybersecurity one. And, and 
What we each need to do in order to make that choice is about what we do every day, right? Understanding the business mission outcomes that we're trying to accomplish, building security into what we do, recognizing that the security uh, journeys that organizations have been on, they need to stay on and in some instances need to accelerate, and acknowledging that uh, we need to ensure that no one is left behind in this situation. Bobby Stemfley, Vice President of Cybersecurity at Dell Technologies, Dan Chenick, Executive Director at the IBM Center for the Business of Government, and Karen Evans, Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute. Thanks all for being here. Thanks, George. Thank you. Thank you, George.